Hello and welcome to another edition of NEMT Radio. I'm your regular host, Rob Lawrence. And first of all, if you're listening to this in the week of May the 24th, when we first put it out, happy EMS week, everybody. If you're listening to this on May the 24th itself, within EMS week today is EMS for Children's Day. And so therefore, who better to have on than Dr. Mark Cicero, MD, who is an associate professor in the section of paediatric emergency medicine at the Yale School of Medicine and attending physician at Yale New Haven's Children's Hospital Emergency Department. Uh, Dr. Cicero, welcome and happy EMS week. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Rob, and for the welcome and happy EMS for Children's Day to you and to all our listeners. Excellent. This is an important day. And first of all, I'm delighted that uh, when NAMT and others created a day each, you know, each day to celebrate and observe something, obviously it's vitally important to think about EMS for children and, uh, you know, really to kick us off. Uh, why don't you give us a little bit of your own background and, and, and how you became a pediatrician? What, what's your, what's your story so far? Oh, it's uh, it's a long and winding road, but I'll try to keep it succinct and say there was a time when I saw myself doing infectious diseases for adults, and one thing led to the other. I realized that caring for children was more rewarding for me because there were opportunities to make big pivots in their health and maybe the arc of their life. I also realized as time went by that working in emergency medicine and also in the pre-hospital setting that uh, we can really see immediate differences in the care for children and my own attention span may not be the best fit for infectious diseases. And then I started working in disaster preparedness and disaster education. And my chosen audience and learners for that was pediatrics residents and emergency medicine residents because that was a group I knew. And someone took me under their wing and said, this is all very good, but if you really want to make a difference in the care of children in disasters, work with folks in EMS, work with paramedics and EMTs, because there, there's an opportunity to make a change uh, and to really impact uh, for the good of children uh, where they've become ill and injured. So that gave me a clue as to my next question, right? So, you know, your work at the uh, EMS for Children's Innovation and Improvement Centre's Disaster Preparedness Work Group. Uh, tell us all about that. Sure. Uh, the EMSC Innovations and Improvement uh, is a nationwide opportunity to improve the care of children. And when it comes to disasters, that work group partners with other national players like the National Pediatric Disaster Coalition, the ASPERS uh, National Advisory Committee on Children and Disasters, and then uh, the Pediatric Pandemic Network, which is a network of 10 different children's hospitals and three networks that came together to improve the care of children uh, in disasters and also improving everyday readiness. So we think about your question in the EIIC, it all works together to break down the silos of disaster preparedness. We recognize that disasters are ultimately local events and for the first 72 hours, 96 hours after the next hurricane that hits Connecticut, after the next widespread uh, earthquake, that there'll be a need to be ready on the ground, but national readiness, breaking down silos, thinking about preparedness and having a plan is really uh, the emphasis of uh, all of those disaster entities that we've been talking about. 
So some of my favorite planning things you, you, you've you kind of touched on there, of course, you know, we shouldn't be exchanging our business cards on the day of the disaster. Uh, familiar, familiarity always helps. And so just under those two kind of headings, how, how are you addressing that in the various bits of work that you're doing? Sure. We realize that a lot of times disaster preparedness, disaster science, that federal efforts like the National Disaster Management System that there haven't been as many uh, communications among these organizations as there could be. We need to break down the academic piece, the after the fact uh, evaluation of the data, uh, and also learn from folks out in the field, the first set of EMTs and paramedics who arrive on the scene and learn about what resources they used, what worked, what didn't work, and then disseminate that information across uh, the networks. So I'll give an example and say that the Pediatric Pandemic Network is uh, currently standing up a resource central. Listeners should be able to access the first version of this this summer. So for example, let's say you're an EMS medical director in Indiana who wants to learn about uh, tornado response and how children can be sheltered uh, successfully. You could in, in this resource central, look at tornadoes, pediatrics, and EMS response, and ultimately get some resources that are relevant to the needs of your learners and also for planning. Uh, so that's a way to break down silos and disseminate the information that's already available. So that if you are that EMS medical director, that EMS uh, leader, that uh, you don't need to recreate the resources. Wonderful. And uh, again, for those that ever worked for me when I was an EMS chief, of course, I will tell you that communication, tell anybody that listening that communications is always the first battle. And therefore, you're clearly working away towards solving that. And so I'm kind of starting wide, and I'm going to really narrow down as we sort of get into the discussion. But uh, that's the kind of the the, the, the pre-planning uh, aspect of what you're doing. But let's kind of sort of focus into sort of agency and organizational level. And uh Within each agency, obviously, you should be paying attention to not just adults, but obviously children. And so what do you recommend for an EMS agency in terms of preparing, dealing and working with children? Are there any kind of top tips, particularly, I think, around, uh, you know, emergency care coordinators um, for pediatrics? Absolutely. I've uh, given some thought to this question and some general thoughts, but also some very specific ones that uh, EMS agencies could put into place today on EMS for Children Day. Uh, we'll start with the concern, the anxiety that's often provoked by a pediatric emergency. I think we've done a disservice in EMS with this idea that children aren't just little adults. Um, I think that within that old statement, there's the idea that children aren't just little adults, but let's break that down. Children are very similar to adults is kind of implied in there. And we have to remember that if a child is epoxic, almost always oxygen is a great choice. We have to remember that trauma has the same risks as far as hypothermia, hemorrhage and the like, as far as children. And that we need to think about practicing our skills to improve the care of children. So remembering that children are more similar to adults than different from them. Sure, there are airway differences. There are differences in cardiovascular physiology. In other words, children increase their heart rate, but maybe um, 
you know, they uh, maintain their blood pressure until they don't with tachycardia. We have issues around weight-based dosing for paramedics with the caveat that most children who receive care from EMS clinicians won't be receiving medications. There's developmental differences in the need to advocate for children to think about whether this is a child who's been subjected to abuse or neglect. So to address those gaps, there are some specific resources that every EMS clinician and agency can consider. First, I recommend having an app or a length-based tape, or if you will, a hand-based system that helps someone remember uh, how to care for a child, what normal weights are, what the appropriate uh, needs are for intravenous fluids and the like, and having that app and practicing with it. We'll talk about simulation education in just a little bit, but it's enough to have the app but also it's only enough if we use that app or that length-based tape or other resource and we practice with it. Because if it's months between critical pediatric patients and a person's a paramedic or an EMT, uh, remembering how to use that assistant is going to be a bit of a challenge if they haven't practiced with it. Next, it's important to have a set of protocols for pediatric patients, and that those protocols are adjacent to the same, let's say, respiratory distress or asystole protocol that is used for adults. That way, uh, we have some traffic as far as eyeballs for seeing those protocols, and there's opportunities to practice them, and that emphasizes the uh, the concepts that are used uh, both for adults and for children. So having a set of protocols Next, I like to say, if you're worried, don't worry alone. Practice with your direct medical oversight. Some of these suggestions I'm making may be more practical than others for specific EMS agencies, but having a good relationship with your direct medical oversight, with your EMS medical director, or if you're fortunate to have an associate EMS medical director for children, to work with that person with the uh, medical direction, the indirect medical direction for the protocols, but reaching out to the receiving facility that's going to care for that child to the emergency physician who'll be receiving the child. If there are questions and if you're worried, don't worry alone. Use direct medical oversight. And then finally, there are other resources. Use your partner, the veteran EMT that the less experienced paramedic might be working with might know some tips and tricks to calm a child or to manage the airway. And also, I'd encourage EMS providers to work with the parents who know their child well. Some parents are experts in the care of children with complex medical issues or just the management of their asthma or their behavioral health concerns. And parents often, but not always, can be a great resource for parents. So I hope those specific tips, protocols, reaching out to direct medical oversight, having a system like an app, a length-based tape, a hand-based system, using your resources like your partner and the parents can be some ways to demystify the care of children and also bridge some knowledge gaps and feel more comfortable delivering high-quality care. 
You see, I was sitting there writing all that down. And of course, it's the rule of P's, okay? So, you know, practicing pediatric protocol prevents poor performance and include parents and partners. So there Absolutely. we are. So if you want to take anything away, that was, uh, so it's how I memorize stuff. So there we are. That's, it's, it's, I alliterate everything. Um, and actually, there's some great, some great uh, information there. And actually, you touched on a great point there. Of course, everybody has their operation medical director, their medical director, whatever, whatever their title may be. But actually, agencies, do you have someone that's also a pediatrician? Do you have someone that has an EMS for children focus? And I think there you made a great point. Well, thank you uh, for that. And, and there's a number of different ways to enhance the pediatric knowledge, both in the moment for the care of a child and uh, beforehand. So you had touched on uh, pediatric emergency care coordinators, and I'd like to spend a good amount of time speaking about them specifically. Uh, we'll do that in just a little bit, but a few other ideas regarding practice uh, include knowing your destination, again, and communicating with them, sometimes having the protocols align in the pre-hospital setting with the protocols that are used in the receiving community emergency department or children's emergency department to improve the quality of care really well. Uh, a good example might be the child with croup who is uh, perhaps having strider, but also has a barky cough. Uh, if the EMS clinicians have within their scope of practice to give steroids, as well as giving uh, nebulized epinephrine, then when the child arrives in the emergency department, they can be looking and feeling a whole lot better than they did when EMS arrived. So a, a concept that we might apply there is the idea of staying until it's time to go. Uh, if we think about resuscitation, airway management, and also ensuring that families have the specific medical equipment and supplies that'll be needed in the hospital, spending some additional time in the home or on the scene can improve the quality of care. We know that when children are pulseless and apneic in the pre-hospital setting, that their outcomes are not good. But we also know that if teams of EMS clinicians attempt resuscitation in the scene and use pit crew CPR and stick to their protocols, that they are giving that child the best chance of survival. And the old mantra of treating with diesel doesn't really treat the patient well at all. And it also increases pulses and lights and sirens and all the issues that we might spend some additional time talking about or that may have been focused on in the podcast prior that from a safety standpoint and outcome standpoint, staying until it's time to go is key. Thank you for that. We're just going to take a break. And as it is EMS week and it is EMS for Children's Day, who better to uh, speak to us than NAMT president, Susan Bailey. Hello, on behalf of the National Association of EMTs, it is my pleasure to welcome you to EMS week 2023 and to celebrate your extraordinary service to your communities. National EMS Week, May 21st through 27th, is a celebration of all that is good in EMS. This year's theme, EMS, where emergency care begins, speaks to our essential role in providing frontline medical care to patients in need. We provide a full spectrum of pre-hospital and out-of-hospital emergent, urgent, and preventive care. Recently, EMS advanced into COVID-19 testing, treating COVID-19 patients, and providing flu vaccines. We collaborated with hospitals, hospice agencies, urgent care centers, and behavioral health centers to give patients the best care in their time of need. 
We have seen through the lens of national media some of the problems that plague our profession. Workforce shortages, closures of EMS agencies, and a few cases of poor judgment by EMS practitioners. These stories are very troubling to read, but they certainly do not define our profession. As we work to address our problems, we must be sure to celebrate our achievements and tremendous value that we bring to our communities. The important message is to ensure that every employee knows that they are appreciated. With everything that EMS has gone through and continues to work through, it is my hope that each of you will take time to celebrate our profession and your contributions to your patients and communities. To each and every one of you, thank you. Happy EMS Week. You deserve to celebrate and be celebrated. You're listening to uh, NAMT Radio. Don't forget that uh, we'd like you to like and subscribe. And uh, if you're listening to us on your app, there's a little plus sign somewhere where if you hit that plus sign, it means you subscribe. And so every time an episode of NAMT Radio comes along, you'll get informed. Also, rate and review us because, of course, then we go up in the old searchability scale. So lots for you to do out there. Uh, I'm talking to Dr. Mark Cicero, Associate Professor in the section of Pediatric Emergency Medicine at Yale School of Medicine. And you touched on something just before we went to the break, and it's that old one of the handover, right? And of course, you know, we, there, there are many, many ways and many, many you know, experiences that medics out there have had when they try to take a patient in and hand over. Sometimes the ED staff will just grab the patient without actually asking the question. Um, I, I listened to a lecture from Brian Bledsoe many, many years ago, who said, the way I, I, I get calm and take the handover is by screaming, shut up. To everybody in the room and then allow the medic to talk obviously we're handing over a sick child there's a lot of information the medic that's been out there and as you say has been on scene for some considerable time the patient may have shown signs of improvement and sometimes you get that kind of skeptical look of well he looks all right to me uh medic and so how should we deal with the handover this is a great question i think that the best thing we can do during the handover in the emergency department is the team of nurses, tax, respiratory therapists, and physicians, and others, is to give some respect to the work that's been done by the EMS clinicians already. We need to have some silence. We need to understand that uh, there's important information about to be shared about what therapies have been given already, about what the patient's condition was like initially and how it's changed, what the mechanism of injury or illness was. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're building a silo and we're not doing the best thing as far as our patient and we're not being respectful of the work that's already been done. So there is work being done by one of my colleagues, Vishal Nayak, who's at uh, Lurie Children's in Chicago. And his work focuses on what is the best order of operations for transferring the patient from the EMS stretcher to the bed in the emergency department? When should communication be given? And what are the truly vital pieces of information? Because we also know when our pulses are racing fast, there's only so much that we can retain from that uh, sign out and that handover from EMS. Thank you for saying that. And uh, will you tell your colleague? We'd love to hear from him when uh, when he has uh, has has a story to tell us about that handover. Because I, you know, it's one of those issues that everyone has a horror story of handovers, and uh, it's something that actually, again, we should be familiar enough to know how to do it, how to do it in a, in an order, in a sequence, 
actually ask the hospital what they need from us. But but please, hospital clinicians, don't just grab the patient because you know we've been there for a while. And thank you for talking about uh, talking about that and and have some respect for the the work that the medics have done on the street. Now I'm going to hand you the mic now, and you're going to do a deep dive for us. So over to you. Right on. Another important concept as far as readiness for children in the pre-hospital setting is the appointment of a pediatric emergency care coordinator. Having someone in an EMS agency who takes on the role of EMS education for children, understanding what's happening with equipment changes, protocol changes, ensuring quality improvement and doing case review can be a great way to move forward pediatric readiness. When we think about the initiative for pediatric pre-hospital readiness across the country, one of the performance metrics is having someone in the role of pediatric emergency care coordinator. The idea of having a PEC or a pediatric champion is an old one at this point. It dates back at least to the Institute of Medicine report from 2006, 2007 called Growing Pains. And in it, there's an idea that having someone responsible makes a difference. Uh, However, it was only about four years ago that a number of my colleagues across the country and our group at Yale had the opportunities to take on projects that were funded by HRSA and by Emergency Medical Services for Children. These projects look at how PECs do their work, the influence of PECs in the care of children, the quality of care in the pre-hospital setting, and ultimately outcomes. And there are a lot of different models for how PEC work is done. A PEC might be someone who works within one agency and is also an EMT or a paramedic who takes shifts and works alongside their colleagues. The PEC may be an EMS leader, a chief, an education officer who does simulations. And I'll talk about simulations in just a little bit. For some of our rural agencies, we've done work in Vermont. Uh, Having a PEC who works for a number of different agencies and does the training and the quality improvement when the call volume for children might not be that high can be a good model. And then also PECs can partner with their state EMSC partnership with their EMS for Children manager to disseminate education, resources, and some of those uh, pediatric care aids that we talked about earlier in the podcast. I'll take a moment and talk about a specific resource that agencies can use and that PECs can take off the shelf and help improve the comfort level for care of children and the quality of care, and that's called SimBox. I'll encourage listeners to do a search for SIMBOX, S-I-M-B-O-X-E-M-S. And that will quickly lead to a growing suite of about a dozen different simulations that if an EMS training officer has learners, has an internet connection, a screen, a low-fidelity mannequin, they can be really low-fidelity, like a toy or even a bag of saline, then high quality simulation can be done. We often hear from PECs and from EMS training officers, they'll say, I don't really feel comfortable doing simulations. It's not something I've learned to do. SimBox has resources that help bridge that gap with specific instruction, with scripts, with videos that depict the patient and even give the instructions to the learners. So that if an EMS instructor 
has some comfort level with debriefing, they can help the learners through the simulation and then also talk about what they learned and how they'll apply that to their care for children going forward. So Simbox is a tremendous resource that's available for free and has been developed by a number of pediatric EMS and pediatric emergency physicians and nurses across the country in partnership with paramedics and EMTs. We hope that it can be a really good resource for improving the care of children. Thank you for that. And uh, that's uh, that's great. Now then, as we sort of get towards the end of this uh, podcast, I ask the standard Rob question, is there anything I've forgotten to ask or anything you need to tell me? Uh, thanks for that, Rob. I'll try to be uh, brief about it, but I'll say on this Emergency Medical Services for Children Day, uh, I'd encourage every listener to think about one thing that their agency or that their system can improve and do a better job caring for children, their families, and their communities. A couple, maybe four examples include pediatric readiness. Choose one app, one change in a protocol, one length-based tape or hand-based system that you practice with and that you're familiar with. So when there's a critically ill or injured child, that it's ready to go and you're more ready to deliver high quality care. Another way to go forward is communication. Often in healthcare, I can remember as a trainee myself 20 years ago now, that we would often escort families away from critically ill and injured children and say, we'll come back and let you know how it went. And it can be difficult when families are really concerned about their child but I'd encourage EMS clinicians to have families at the wayside, ready to go, ready to provide information, and having them as a source of both information and comfort for their child as resuscitation or care is attempted. Communicate with families and work together. It may be worthwhile. One more potential way to move forward is to have family advocates and receive feedback uh, for ways to improve care. In a time when so much of EMS and so much of healthcare in general is about the satisfaction of the communities we care for, why not reach out to communities to shore up the care and also, very frankly, improve market uh, share by being an agency that uh, that's really family focused and um, and that can really uh, pay off down the line. And finally. EMS agencies can provide uh, prevention. When we're not caring for children in the pre-hospital setting, mobile integrated health, community paramedicine for children, and outreach to communities and schools can be a fantastic way to promote safety so there isn't a critically injured or ill child in the first place. Those are exceptionally wise words. And uh, of course, uh, giving the, the medic feedback on you know the good that they did, the wholesome nature of what they provide as a service, I think is absolutely critical because, you know, sometimes you have to get in, hand the patient over and then get on to the next call and you sometimes lose sight of what just happened. And uh, coming out of the pandemic where we have the kind of mixture of low staffing levels, high call volume means you're on the go all the time. And sometimes you don't get that opportunity to receive, you know, the information of what you've just done. And so I think creating a feedback loop is absolutely critical. Uh, and again, because it does contribute to provide a burnout, the stress of the job. Sometimes the not knowing just what you've done does contribute to that. So I think it's all part and parcel of the, you know, the bigger picture. So today, thank you so much uh, for coming on the podcast. Those are some exceptionally great pearls of wisdom, which uh, we will share 
far and wide. Um, as it is EMS for Children's Week, as it is EMS Week, uh, what's your final thought? Rob, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today and to speak with uh, the listenership. I think the biggest take home here is what we do in EMS makes a difference. And there's a tremendous opportunity for EMTs and paramedics and others in EMS to make a difference in the lives of children and their families. The preparation matters. The work that's done matters. And the advocacy, the care, and the dedication is critical to the outcomes for children who are ill and injured. Finally, uh, how can we follow you, get in touch, and indeed follow some of the programs that uh, you are working with? Absolutely. Uh, I can be reached at mark.cicero at yale.edu. I'm a bit of a Luddite when it comes to Twitter and other platforms. And listeners can also reach our programs via the websites that are available in the show notes. Indeed. And all of the stuff that we've talked about uh, will be available in the show notes. So you can click on and educate yourself on everything that you've heard about today. Uh, Dr. Mark Cicero, thank you very much. Uh, I hope uh, you'll come back and talk to us again as uh, the uh, NEMT Radio podcast uh, grows in stature, listenership and uh, and content. But for the moment, thank you so much indeed and uh, happy EMS week and happy EMS for Children's Day. It's been a pleasure. I'd be happy to return and happy EMS for Children Day to you all. That was another edition of NAMT Radio Podcast. Uh, we'll be back again soon with some equally great and compelling guests. For the moment, I've been Rob Lawrence. This has been NAMT Radio. And until next time, bye for now. <laughs>